Welcome to Retirement Unlimited with Randy Barkley and Jeremiah Lee. This is a program where we discuss life's hard financial questions to help you make smart decisions about your money. I'm a certified financial planner and Jeremiah is a California licensed attorney. We work together at Tricord Advisors. Tricord is a registered investment advisory firm where we help our clients build the life that they love. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on future episodes, just send us an email. Use the contact button on our website, retirementunlimited.com, or just give our office a call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. All right, today we are talking about the markets and we, markets are always different, but we have a unique moment with what's called the Mega Cap 8. Uh, you probably heard the the, the Fang is that Is that a new rock and roll group? It is, yeah, the Mega Cap 8. Yeah, you can see them in concert. They'll be here all, all month. Now, there used to be the, the Fang stocks, people would call them. They would, you know, space the brick. Remember Amazon. the brick? Right, the brick was the different countries. So, right. So now we've come to what people are starting calling the Mega Cap 8. And the reason they're highlighting these is it's these companies have gotten so large, Apple being one of them. Apple has gotten so large with their market cap, the size of their company, that whatever happens to Apple, good or bad, kind of happens to everybody because they impact the indexes so much. And the, the examples that we wanted to talk about is, is kind of what's happened year to date uh, this year. And so year to date, the Dow Jones industrial average, a lot of the manufacturing companies, it's about a one. So the Dow Jones, just to make, just to clarify, the Dow Jones is made up of 30 stocks and it is equally weighted. So the impact of the mega cap stocks doesn't have the same mm-hmm. impact on those 30 stocks. Yep. Uh, as they do like on the S&P 500. So. Yeah. so the Dow Jones has returned from year to date 1.7%. So basically flat. Not much has happened there. The S&P 500, the same period is right about 16%. So what's the difference? Why the Usually difference? different. And it's it's these mega cap stocks that they're so large, they've pulled the whole thing up. And it, some of these have done you know phenomenal. So let's see. Let, talk about some of these meta which is facebook they've had roughly 150 percent return yeah i mean they got skyrocketed dramatically last year and all of a sudden yes. it, and um they've done they've done some changes and obviously the revenue flow right and for a company to have 150 150 percent return over the course of a, a year or part of a year generally has no impact on the well not right it's very minor impact on an right. index right. an index that has 500 stocks total However, some of these companies are so big, like Meta, they've become so large that their contribution to that is actually pulling it up meaningfully. Um, so the, the the mega cap eight, when we talk about these, there's there's Google, which trades Alphabet, but it's the Google company, Amazon, Apple, Meta, which is Facebook, Microsoft, Netflix, NVIDIA, and Tesla. Those are kind of the, the group right now. They're just becoming enormous. And you know, it, it's not entirely them that have just pulled this up. However, generally, you know, to move from 1.7% return on the Dow to a 16% on the S&P, a lot, the major, vast majority of that difference is these eight stocks. These eight yeah, stocks and, I, and I think the biggest issue is what do you look at for a benchmark? So the S&P 500 is a very common benchmark. Yep. And if you look at your portfolio and you say, well, I'm I'm not up 16%. Yeah, I didn't get 16% this year. What's so going on? The, the issue really comes down to diversification. So if you if your holdings are broadly diversified, you may have those stocks. In fact, you probably do, but they're probably not concentrated yep. where they are in the S and P five hundred. So maybe your return is more like five to ten percent this year, and not sixteen yep. percent. But at the same point in time, if you concentrate your your investment into these narrow mm-hmm. band of stocks, 
when they do correct, it's going to be hurtful. Yeah. Well, and, and to that comment, if someone had bought, uh, say, Tesla, right, a year to date, move forward, it's been great. They've had a really good year. Tesla last year, I think they lost 70% of yeah, their value at one time. Yeah, a lot. So if someone, if they put all their eggs in that basket and said, hey, Tesla to the moon, like, well, let's, let's do it. Um, it they'd have lost 70% of the principal. That, that's a massive amount to come back from. However, had they owned it this year and this year only, they would have been great. You know, they'd have a great Yeah. Run. So, I mean, we use it FOMO. So the fear of missing yeah. out. I mean, people have a tendency to invest based on their emotions. And it really always comes back to as broad diversification. And what's your cost going in? If you're, if you're at the very top end of the um, valuation. Yeah then you're probably going to be disappointed over time. Yep. You know? well, the question we had you know, this week is, what do you do now? Right. These have had a, you know, stellar runs, a phenomenal moment. Will they keep going? Maybe. Well, no, nothing goes up forever. Down? I mean, logically, I mean, your, your, you know, your emotion, your, your, your emotion from your intellect, your emotion, mm-hmm. it's hard for you to step out yep. or hard to rebuild because that's going to go, like I said, fear of missing out. It's going to continue to go up. It's going to keep going. Well, logic tells you, Nothing goes up forever. Right. And the question that, that we look at and many people do is, is, will these come back down or the the rest of the company, the rest of the, the companies in the economy, will they start slowly pulling out? So what we call a broader breath. In other words, will will those stocks, those eight stocks, basically, will it raise the water level? Mm-hmm. Will all boats rise because of what they've done within that yeah. economy? Yeah. Right. And to be determined, we're not here to kind of tell you what's going to happen, but it's just been a really interesting market this last year uh, because of these eight stocks. And it's not over. I mean, these will continue. We've, we've seen a lessening of the, the impact of these eight stocks as they're cooling off a bit. And it looks like others are starting to rise. But that could just be a moment. Yeah, and I, and I think the the key is just be really careful about your fundamentals, and that's what we look at here: is not to be sidetracked or not be, hmm. you know, all of a sudden be pulled in a certain direction because these particular band of stocks are doing that much better. Now, our investments are obviously for a lifetime, and we're looking at uh, diversification, and you cannot uh, put all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Yep. And in this particular s- season, I mean, yeah, I mean, you'd love to have a hundred percent return on your holdings. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a, an, a I can, I guess, play it, play it. I mean, mm. from an emotional standpoint, but at the end of the day, it, you're taking on an inordinate amount of risk. risk. Yep. No, that's right. It really is. So stay tuned. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to shift our conversation and talk about wealth transfers. There's a, a massive amount of money that's been moved from baby boomers to next generation. And what do you, what do, you do with that? How do, right. how do you handle that as a, either a baby boomer or someone who might be receiving that? So stay tuned for our next section. We'll be right back. You know, retirement is supposed to be a secure time. Are you secure? Do you and your loved ones have the information needed to make the right decisions about retirement? You need counsel, not another salesperson, an advisor that looks out for your interest more than theirs. This is Dennis Prager, and I'd like you to call Randy Barkley, a certified financial planner who's been serving the Inland Empire for over 26 years. He's a retirement specialist who works for you on all the important and often confusing things that determine how comfortable you are in retirement. Call Randy Barkley for a free consultation and learn for yourself what I've learned. He can be trusted. Randy Barkley, 888-627-8371, 888-627-8371. Or visit me, Randy Barkley, at retirementunlimited.com. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back. We're in this segment going to talk about wealth transfer. So, Randy, you came up with a really interesting statistic on the amount of money that's moving 
from baby boomers to the next generation. Yeah, it, it's it's it is a massive amount of capital. So over seventy eight billion trillion, not a B, a T trillion dollars is yeah. going to transfer from baby boomers to whatever that next generation is. Now, to give you an idea of how how much that is, mm. it's it's fifteen times more than what our grandparents, my grandparents. And mm. transferred to my parents, my parents transferred to us. So we've had this huge capitalization yeah. that has occurred over the last 30 years or so. And this now is sitting in the hands of baby boomers. Yep. And eventually it's going to transfer somewhere. Right. And some of it is invested stocks and bonds and things like that. Some of it's also just real estate. Right. We've had a number of folks that their parents, parent generation, or even currently the baby boomer, boomer generation will pass away. And then that next generation walks into paid for real estate. Right. And it used to be maybe they bought the house for 300,000, you know, here in Southern California, that wasn't an odd item, but now they're walking to a house. that's a million or more right. of value as well as people have stocks. And whatnot. so th- what we're talking about today is, is what is wealth? Like what, what do you do with wealth? Either when you are in your eighties and nineties and you have enough, you have right. plenty, or when you're in your sixties or so, and you're receiving this amount of money, what what is it? What does it mean to you? And we'll be a little, get a little philosophical, but I kind of want to start with some of the benefits. There, there's some real tangible benefits, and one is financial security. Sure, you know, people who don't have enough to pay their mortgages, to uh, pay rent, to buy food, it, it takes care of all of that. The next layer, I think, that's on top of that is the financial freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't want to work at a certain job, you can have the freedom to change. And I just want to kind of again, uh, kind of philosophically. Um, financial freedom means a lot of things to a lot of people and a lot of differences. But what twists it typically is that greed factor. Mm. And a lot of people will leverage their financial assets in order to accomplish more. Yeah. And and they don't have to, but they'll do it because they think more is better. Yeah. Right. And there's more to experience. You know, say someone wants to travel. And they they want to travel to Europe, but they want to do it right. every year. And they consume, you know, they use up their resources. There's others. I think what you're kind of pointing at is, you know, they they've worked hard, they have plenty, they'll never run out of money, but they want more in the bank. They want more zeros after that well, number. I think so they keep working. We can we can without divulging people and their circumstances. We've had people we've talked to. I mean, I'm thinking of the one that you had, where he had a plane, he had a boat. Mm. And clearly through his financial plan, he was, they were going through this money pretty rapidly. Mm. And you showed him at certain points on the plan where this was now going to start eating into his principal and to the point where it's going to jeopardize. And so instead of making some kind of key decisions, what he did is he said, oh, it means I can keep my boat and my plane up until this point. Yeah. It it really kind of missed the point, didn't it? Yeah, no, it, it did. And and I'm not sure for that you know, client, what, what the benefit was to hold on to these things, where there was a having, having more, having access to the stuff. And and so part of the philosophical here is w- what is wealth? And we have opinions personally, but also we've worked with a lot of clients of how they view wealth. And that I- idea of needing more or needing different um, is, is really pervasive in our society, partly because of um, social media, partly because of I me mean, before social media, we had to keep it up with the Joneses. We had the, you know, the people down the street to say, I want this. Why? Well, my neighbor has a boat. I want a boat. Yeah. You know, I my my, my neighbor moved to a higher end house. I want to move to a higher end house. Yep. All the people at my office are doing this, that, the other thing. And it, it's one, it's a it's a you know, that's kind of the treadmill of how do you keep up in, in kind of the early right. years. But what do you do when you're 70 or 80? 
what do you, and you I mean, have well, even all the money. Than that. I mean, I think, again, um, people are coming out of, let's say you had a military background or you work in public pensions. I mean, you have a public pension. Mm-hmm. A lot of people below age 60 have fixed income. Yeah. They, ha- they have a, a fairly decent rate of return. And if they're uh, if they've managed their debt, if they bought their house 20 years ago and managed their debt, their house is probably free and clear. So do you go out and sell that home and leverage and get a bigger home? And I mean, it's it, it seems to me that it's people are are, are taking the arrows and stabbing themselves mm. in a lot of cases. They're creating risk and they're there's they're they're taking what they need mm-hmm. and they're jeopardizing from what they want, they're jeopardizing their future, yeah. right? There's some great uh, illustration when it goes beyond what people do, but um, Bernie Madoff was a great example of that. It was in a book that we, Psychology of Money, we both read and give it to a number of clients. But a story of Bernie Madoff that before any of the scandal, before any of the fraud- Before before he did the Ponzi scheme. Yeah. W- w- he was making, I think I said 30 to 50 million through his business. Right. It was creating really great, value, completely legitimate, completely real business. And the the comment they made in the book is saying, he could, he could he just accepted that. That's more money than most people can even imagine. Yeah, he would have been in the top 1% or greater as far as income and wealth. Yeah, but he wanted more and right. he wanted to do differently. So he kept pushing and pushing. And there's a few examples that give in the book of people who had more than enough. They, they would never be able to spend that, but they still wanted more. And so that pushed them into greed or illegal activity. Yeah, I think the pride overcame their their reality. And yeah. of course, you know, we all know too much, you know, you know, you've, it, it, you'll fall. I mean, you mm. will. You will absolutely. It will crush you at some point in time. Mm. And um, I, I still believe that those uh, biblical principles are true when it comes to you know pride goes before the fall. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we talk about it from a financial standpoint. We see people that this greed just gets way ahead, yeah. and they make decisions that absolutely are horrible horrible decisions and anybody kind of standing back from it can see you know they're lying they're cheating they're Mm. they're leveraging themselves they're doing whatever they can to get what more money what does that mean to them i don't i don't know exactly what the driver is behind all that there's some levels you know you talk about the family who's starving and someone has to get bread okay that's a different motivation it is but for someone who has plenty their table is full their family is full but they still want another house they still want more and they're willing to make um you know, moral sacrifices to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pride. It's a greed aspect. And I think as we, we talk about, you know, the good that money does, we talk about financial freedom, the quality of life, people having access to healthcare, um, generational wealth, people to say, I want right. my kids to, to, to not have to struggle like I did. I want them to inherit this. Those are all great. And even giving back to society, you know, there's a number of people who are extremely charitable near the end of their lives because they have enough. But I want to talk a little bit, some of the concerns that we've touched on, but um, some of the concerns with having too much work, we find, especially as you think about inheriting this in the next generation, um, you know, working is a good thing. Right. And if if people have no motivation to work, um, they, you're kind of stealing from that next generation an, an ability to, to build their own confidence, right. to enjoy the work of their hands, to enjoy their You're their talking life. about the children of people that are wealthy. Children of, yeah, people who right. are wealthy. I mean, that's primarily who we're talking it about. It could be someone who's wealthy themselves. They just give up on, on pushing forward. But but if someone inherits more than is useful, it can become unuseful, right? That right. they give up some of these great habits. Another piece is isolation. And this is one that was in this book. It's, it's another place is that as people become more wealthy, often in our culture, they become more and more isolated. They're either right. concerned people will take from them or concerned. They're more concerned about losing it. 
you know, they've, they've worked really hard to build a certain amount of wealth. And as long as their income is rolling in, as long as they're continuing to get the income, they're building the asset. All of a sudden they retire. Now they are completely dependent upon the what they've accumulated, yeah, right? In order right. to have it pay out an income. And anxiety, um, uh, almost a sense of loss of control. Yeah. And it it affects people oddly, I guess, yep. the best way. Well, and even say someone had you know ten million dollars, a large amount of money that that's invested. You know, I could see we've had clients talk about this to say the market takes a dip, and they say I wa- I lost three hundred thousand dollars today. You know, and it, and it feels like they lost. Well, no, you didn't lose three hundred thousand dollars. You have great assets that will continue to produce going forward. And the next day, they might say I I made you know three hundred thousand dollars today. <laughs> I can I, you know, and and neither of those are, are accurate in the way they should be thinking about it to be healthy. Right. And, right. and it's interesting that that aspect of financial freedom, I, I feel like people get to a certain amount of earnings or assets and they obtain financial freedom. But we've seen a number of clients who then keep going, they actually kind of lose their financial freedom. They, they lose an ability to not be focused on it or captivated by it. You know, the Scrooge McDuck wants to go swim in his money. You know, um, that's, right. a, I'm, that's a 90s reference. I don't know what that is. No, it is. But I, I, <laughs> I think, I, I, again, I think people understand that. I mean, it's what what makes you happy. Yeah. And I don't know of anybody that is that is continually pursuing wealth is happy. Yeah, it's happy. I, I've not seen that. Yeah, I've not seen that. And it's it's hard because I think a lot of people compare themselves to the uber wealthy, and we're dealing with people who are in our point. They, they live here. They live in our community. You know, they're they're wealthy in this in this sense. And one of my favorite clients, I think he'll always probably be one of my favorite clients. But we did the planning, and he had enough money. He was going to be fine. And we've I've mentioned him on the radio before. But he, we did the inverse planning. He said, how much of this could I give away either to my family or to my charities and not run out of money? You know, not be dependent on someone else in my life, but how much of this could I just give away and not break my own plan? And it was wonderful planning because we flipped the whole thing around and said, okay, you could give away this amount of money, you know, every year, or you can make a one big lump sum. But his view was that I don't, I don't need to die with any of this. I don't need right. to give this to the next generation in, in large sums. I'd rather give it to him now. And for him, wealth was I called a gift. Um, he had all the freedom in the world. He saw how lucky he was from a wealth standpoint. Yeah. I mean, he saw that he didn't deserve any of this, but my goodness, look how wealthy, I mean, look at all lucky I am. Yeah. He, yeah. He's a frugal person who worked for many years and enjoyed what he did for a job. And and so in that, I think there's an element, and this is kind of the philosophical part of the conversation, I think, is is it was what, what does wealth mean to you? Is it um, keeping score? You know, is it a way to- it, Are you competitive? I mean, yeah. Is it a competitive thing? Is it- a way that you fund opportunity for yourself and others? Is it freedom? Um, you know, another part that people often will talk about um, is what, what do you owe to society? And owe is, I think, probably the wrong word here. What's the opportunity that you could contribute to society? Because us in America, you know, we've grown up with infrastructure in our in our cities. Anyone who owns a business, you know, getting power to the building and having it be consistent probably wasn't their biggest concern. Say concern time, not the biggest. Um, you know, the, the, the military that's protected our shores that we've not been invaded and companies shut down, you know, there, there's an element there that some people want to give back and say, I want to move forward. Others don't, you know, there's, there's part of that. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I just finished the biography for, um, Benjamin Franklin mm. and Benjamin Franklin wasn't necessarily religious. Uh, he was, I would say the predominant thing was he was very, uh, altruistic. He saw society as benefiting. So a lot of things that he invented, a lot of things that he was very instrumental, for example, the lightning rod was, I didn't realize, but how critical that invention was Mm. at that time. Churches, the steeples in churches were typically the highest, um, you know, point point in a a town or a city. 
And the bell ringers apparently were at great risk. They'd mm. go up there and the lightning would hit those things mm -hmm. and kill them. And so he invented, um, you know, he, he discovered electricity, but he also discovered how to how to conduct it, creating uh, these lightning rods and helped install them in churches and high end buildings. He he received virtually zero economic benefit mm. from that. Uh, he gave away all of his knowledge because he saw that as beneficial to mankind. Yeah. Same thing with the Franklin stove. I mean, we think about we put his name to it. He didn't patent it. He didn't mm. he didn't open up a manufacturing plant to make these things and to get better. Yeah. He saw it as a benefit to mankind. And for that, he didn't die super wealthy, but he died. Um, he wanted just enough money to do what he yeah, wanted to do. To do right? Yeah. When we talk about business owners um, and you know people like uh, the Hershey company, you know, right. through the depression, there was a whole city that was built up for workers. And, you know, he, the, the owners of the Hershey family, they had them building all sorts of things right. just to keep them in a job so they could support their family. They could have shut everything down and said, I'm going to hold on to my wealth and, you know, I'm not going to share this. But there's all sorts of aspects of, you know, giving back to society. There's giving back to your own employees. And and I think it, it doesn't have to all be altruistic, but I think there is even a, a, a selfish view of this to say, you know, just having more won't necessarily make you happier. Right. Consuming more, you know, eating finer foods or going on more trips won't necessarily make you happier. But certain things will. There was a, a good article, I think it was a Wall Street Journal years ago, but it said, uh, uh, you know, money can't buy you happiness. It said, yes, it can. You're just doing it wrong. And it, <laughs> and it was an experiment about people giving money away or right. using money and what, what they're spending their money on and spending it on experiences versus just having it. Um, and so I, I think it's a good moment for, you know, we do it with our clients on a regular basis, but anyone to, to take a hard look at you know, what really adds value to their life, their family's lives and their community. And how can they get to be a part of that? Yeah, I mean, our job as financial planners is to create, to some degree, balance in in a in a client's life. And we've made a comment to many clients is that we're not here just to help you accumulate more and more money, more and more assets. Mm -hmm. our, our really our job is to find out what it is that you need in order to have a good outcome financially. And yeah. and we come out with that target rate of return. You don't need to take unusual risk continually uh, to continue to maintain and to do the things that you want to do in your life. So therefore. It comes down to what what's really in the heart of the individual yeah. and what we're trying to help them achieve in their life, right? Yeah, when you think of wealth management, it's not you know, wealth. Part of it is your money. Part of it is your how you experience the world. You know, your right. your health even is for a lot of people as they get older. That's the highest wealth they have is is being staying healthy. Um, and I think as they engage with their families, engage with their communities, and just you know taking enjoyment out of their life. And to me, that's part of it. That that's part of of the planning that we do. And so I I think it's a good moment for everyone to think. You know, where are you headed and why? Right. You know, if, if and especially if people are they're going to inherit, you know, say five million dollars or something from a, a previous generation, what what's that for? Like, if if you didn't need it day one, what what could you do with it? How do, how could you use that to create a benefit for you and your family and, right. and potentially even your community? Yeah, more isn't necessarily better, but what it is is if you've been given something that that is more than what you need, the question is what is your responsibility to yeah. it? And there's a lot of, I mean, we can go down a lot of different uh, requirements, but at the end of the day, you're not going to take any of this with you. Yeah. I mean, there is no, um, you know, hurts behind the coffin. Yeah, uh, right. There's, yeah. There's no rent, rental car. Yeah. Going right. back. Yeah. So. That's great. Well, if you missed any part of this episode, uh, you can go to our website, tricordadvisors.com. We have all our episodes posted there. You can also find us on YouTube. Until next week, folks, may you grow in wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for listening. 
information and ideas discussed on this program are in the nature of general comment and cannot be relied upon as pertaining to your specific situation. Do not constitute legal or financial advice and do not create an attorney, client, or fiduciary relationship. Any examples or circumstances discussed are fictional. Listeners should consult their own financial advisor, tax consultant, or attorney, as well as conduct their own due diligence prior to making any decisions. Investments involve risk and the possibility of loss, including the loss of principal. All situations are different and results may vary. Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent, California license number 0518567. And Jeremiah Lee is a California licensed attorney and is responsible for this communication. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisory firm. Hi, this is Hugh Hewitt. Hey, if you're retired or approaching retirement, listen up. Retirement planning is critical to your financial health. And like choosing the right doctor, your financial planner must be able to understand your concerns, help you navigate through your retirement, which can be filled with uncertainty, volatility. Certified financial planner Randy Barkley has been assisting clients for 30 years by helping them understand all the information that to most of us can be overwhelming. Go to retirementunlimited.org or call Randy Barkley for a no-obligation appointment at 888-627-8371. That's 888-627-8371, retirementunlimited.org. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB.